these last few weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, we've been focusing upon Solomon's despair of life. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says Solomon. Well, tonight there is a welcomed change in mood. Tonight we see Solomon finding joy and purpose in life. God has given us life to enjoy. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12, I hope everyone has a handout. If you do not have one, there are copies available for you in the narthex, and I would encourage you to pick it up as we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this evening. But God has given us life to enjoy. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. <clears throat> And that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Up until this point, Solomon has found sorrow and frustration and hardship associated with toil. Toil being the difficult labors in life, not necessarily uh, just one's occupation, but to all of life's endeavors, anything that is requiring a great deal of energy. We might say that tonight we look from God's perspective and we see a redemptive quality that God brings to the life of God's people. After the fall, man's work became frustrating. There were thorns and thistles, and man was going to have to work by the sweat of his brow. Tonight, we are able to see pleasure in the toil that God has given to us. What is unique to Ecclesiastes and separates it from a hedonistic worldview is its focus upon God. Enjoying life is not simply the greedy consumption of life's pleasures, like the beer commercial, which is go for all the gusto in life before death overtakes us. Rather, It is the patient, grateful, and joyful acceptance of the circumstances of daily life as coming to us as a gift from God. That God is watching over us. That God is providing for us. That God is caring for us. And that we receive each day as a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3.13 Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. The simple things, such as eating and drinking, which we take for granted until we don't have anything to eat and there is nothing to drink. But we're to find pleasure in the simple things. That right ethics is an important part of enjoying life as a gift from God. It's clear from chapter 3, verse 12. Ecclesiastes 3, 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for man than to be joyful and to do good, as long as they live. Thus, for the child of God, life is not driven solely by selfish interest, but rather is a life that finds pleasure in serving God and others. It is a wholesome understanding that pleasure is found in association with doing good and not in doing evil. So if you want to enjoy life, it's important that you do good as opposed to doing evil. It is learning to be thankful for the events of one's life 
as coming from a generous and benevolent God. Life's pleasures are to be enjoyed as coming from God's hand. That is, with a thankfulness, with an appreciation, with a recognition of God's grace and goodness to us. To seize the day, then, is not a self-centered absorption with life's pleasures, but rather is a joyful recognition of God's providential care and a desire to fulfill his purposes. Seeking pleasure is not to be contrasted with seeking God. In other words, they're not pitted against each other. It's not seeking pleasure or seeking God. Rather, in seeking God, we are to see his providential care in supplying abundantly for us the pleasures that we enjoy. So with God and seeking God, pleasure is associated with that. For God is the source of all pleasure and goodness. Seeking God is not a means to an end. That is, in seeking God, ultimately we're trying to find pleasure, but rather, seeking God is indeed an end in of itself. In seeking God, you have all that you need. And in having all that you need, that means we can enjoy life. We can have pleasure in life. So the theme tonight is, Seizing the day is an activity of faith in which the individual joyfully submits to the design and will of God concerning life's events and experiences great pleasure in so doing. The key verse is Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. For in everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. This is probably one of the most famous sections of the book of Ecclesiastes, that along with chapters 11 and 12. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. There are stages of life in which we can expect to experience certain events as illustrated by the word season. For everything there is a season. The stages of life could be childhood, teenage years, young adults, middle age, and old age. Each one of those is a season, if you will. And it's a play on the word as we think about seasons, fall, winter, spring, and summer. There are appropriate events, activities, experiences that are associated with each. With the winter comes snow. With the summer comes sun and rain and comes swimming as opposed to skiing. There are proper events associated with each season, and so too in each season of life. B, within those stages of life, God has designed a specific time for the events to transpire, as illustrated by the words, a time for every matter. So for everything there is a season, which is the broader scope And then within that season, there's a time for every matter under heaven. Now, in Ecclesiastes, there are 28 opposites to demonstrate that there is indeed a proper time for everything. Even those things which are antithetical to each other. Ecclesiastes 3, 2 and following. A time to be born a time to die, a time to plant, a time to 
pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to gather stones together, uh, excuse me, a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time of war, and a time for peace. So these 28 opposites just demonstrate that there is an appropriate time for every event, circumstance in life. Real wisdom and happiness is found in experiencing everything at the right time. A, it is our responsibility to make wise decisions so that we experience the circumstances of life at the right time, resulting in joy. Ecclesiastes 7.17, do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why would you die before your time, before this appropriate time in life? So B, wisdom is to be found in doing the right thing at the right time. So if you want to really enjoy life, it's important that we do the right thing at the right time. For example, in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, it says, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. So it's important to know what time you're in. If you go to a funeral, that's not a time to laugh. If you go to a birthday party, that's the time to laugh. That's the time to make merry. That is the time to enjoy all things. So it's important to realize appropriate times in one's life. End of Ecclesiastes 3, verse 7, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So learn not always to answer every foolish question or comment that someone else makes. You don't have to engage in stupid arguments that are going to get you nowhere. You're just going to end up looking stupid like the person who raised the dumb question. On the other hand, verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceits, lest he think you don't have an answer, lest he think he has bested you, lest he think that stupid question was really profound and it was filled with wisdom and understanding. Sometimes you need to put people in their place, is what this verse is saying. The wisdom is knowing when to do which. When do you keep silent? When do you speak? And enjoyment in life is experienced by acting appropriately for the time and the event in which you are experiencing. Number two, in order to enjoy life, we need to learn to appreciate God's 
designed for life. There is a beauty to life that is found in experiencing everything at the right time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Key word there is, or phrase is, in its time. In its appropriate time, everything is beautiful. It is appropriate. It is desirable. So B, happiness is experienced when life's events are experienced in the normal design of God as illustrated by death. Ecclesiastes 3.2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Now think about that for a moment. There's a time to die. Death in old age is a cause of rejoicing. Death in old age is in keeping with God's overall design. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So after 70, life uh, gets harder. There are more aches and pains. And when someone finally dies, there can be rejoicing. They're going to be with the Lord. And it's easy to say they're better off. They're free from these aches and pains and difficulties in life. Death in old age means, hopefully, that we've lived a full life. Genesis 28 and 29, it says, Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his son Esau and Jacob buried him. So he comes to an end of life, and he's able to enter the Lord's presence, and there is to be this rejoicing. He lived a full life. He got to see his children. He got to see his grandchildren. He got to see the prosperity and goodness of God. He was able to see God at work. He was able to see the outcome of his labors and all of his endeavors. And he lived this full life. And so there's rejoicing in his death. But death in a young age is a cause for sadness. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying here in A. Death in young age is not contrary to God's will, but it is contrary to God's design. So if a young person dies, it doesn't mean that God has been unfaithful, or God is not good. They still, if they know the Lord, are entering into his presence. But it is contrary to his design, meaning that's not the normal way in which life works. We don't expect young people to die. We do expect old people to die. B, thus the death of any young person is a cause for sadness in a way that the death of an elderly person is not. So we should expect, for example, in going to a funeral, if it's a teenager that's killed in a car accident, that's quite different from going to a funeral of a very elderly individual who lived a full life. A parent does not expect 
to outlive their child. There is a, a grief and there is a hardship that's associated when events do not happen in the design of God, meaning in the overall tendency of which God has established. As I say, it's always within his will, but contrary to the design, that is the normal way in which God works in his designed life to take place. C. Happiness is diminished when we experience life's events at a time that is contrary to God's design. For example, Ecclesiastes 3.2, a time to be born. A time to be born. Happiness associated with childbirth is diminished when it comes at the wrong time in one's life. Having a child is great when it happens within the design of God. Having a child, when it's not within the design of God, diminishes the joy that comes. Now, I'm not trying to be hard or or create more difficulty for an individual, but we just need to understand how joy is going to be experienced. If a person is having a child out of wedlock, and a young person has to go to their parents and tell them that they are pregnant, that's a whole different situation and setting than it is for a young married couple to go to the parents and announce the fact that they are with child. There is a joy in the one instance that is lacking in the other instance. In fact, the person might be very reticent and might be very reluctant to share what in any other circumstance would be great and wonderful news. So learning to enjoy life is learning to submit to and follow God's design and purpose in life. Application. To really enjoy life, we need to appreciate the events that are unique to the stage of life that we are in. Ecclesiastes 11.8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Learn to rejoice in every stage of life. Whether you're young, whether you're a teen, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're old, learn to rejoice in the stage of life in which you're in. A, all too often young people wish that they were older. They can't wait to experience that which belongs to another stage of life. A child can't wait until they turn 16 and they can drive. The 16-year-old can't wait until they graduate from high school. The person who graduates from high school can't wait until they're finally done with college. The person can't wait till they get married. They can't wait till they have children. They can't wait. They can't wait. They can't wait. It's always a looking forward to and longing for another stage in life. 
Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Learn to make the most out of your youth. Appreciate the joy of having less responsibility. Enjoy the fact that you can be carefree and you don't have the responsibility of providing for a family yet. You don't have the rigors of working full-time yet. There are many, many good things that are associated with youth. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's easy to miss the really good days of your life. To fail to recognize how good you had it. I know it's hard to believe it looking at me, but when I was in high school, I was really, really, really skinny. I'm as tall as I am now, which is six foot three, and when I graduated from high school, I was 145 pounds. You could see my ribs. And my high school years were spent in trying to bulk up. I was a basketball player, and it was easy to push me around because I was so light. And so I would eat shakes, I would take the protein pills, I would lift the weights, I did everything I could to gain weight. Guess what? I've gained the weight. And at some point in my, time, in my lifetime, I was the perfect weight. I went from being extremely skinny to being obese. Somewhere, I was the perfect weight, and I missed it. I missed it. I didn't realize that particular moment in time in my life. We need to be careful that we are not missing out on life by wishing that it was another stage of life. B, all too often older people wish that they were younger. The young want to be old, the old want to be young. So they can experience the events that are associated with that stage of life. So many older people think they've missed out on life. They look back and now wish that they had enjoyed those carefree years. Wish that they had taken greater advantage of that liberty that they had. Now they regret the way in which their youth was spent and want to go back to being young. Ecclesiastes 7.10 Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask that. How many times do you hear old people talk about the good old days? The good old days. Don't talk about the good old days. Talk about the good present days. Talk about how good life is now. 
Not how good it was back then, but how good today is. See, enjoy and appreciate the season of life that you're in. Don't miss out on life's joys by living in the past or longing for the future. Enjoy the present. Don't try to grow up too fast or stay young forever. The way in which people want to look young when they are old. The way that when they're young, people want to look older. Teens want to look more mature. Elderly people want to look like they did in their 30s and 20s. Enjoy the stage of life that you're in. Number two, to really enjoy life, we need to submit to God's timetable for life. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he's made everything beautiful in its time. NES, he made everything appropriate in its time. There is a right time for everything. That's why we need to follow God's design. We must not run ahead of God. Rather, we are to wait for God's secret and revealed timing in the experiencing of life's events. Number three. We can rest assured that there is an appropriate time for everything, including a future time for God's judgment. One of Solomon's sorrows as he looks at life are all the injustices that he encountered. Well, Solomon learns that today is not the time for God's judgment. There is a judgment that's coming. There's a time in which everything is going to be made right. There's a time in which evil is going to be punished and good is going to be rewarded. But that time is not today. But that time is coming. Ecclesiastes 3.17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Wait for God's judgment. It's coming, both positively and negatively. In this life, there is injustice, because now is not the time of God's judgment. Ecclesiastes 3.16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. As we look around us and we can see places where we expect, we expect righteousness to be judged out, we expect in a courtroom that justice will prevail, that the innocent will be set free, and that the guilty are going to be caused to pay a penalty. And yet, we can look around us and see everywhere injustices where innocent people are made to pay and guilty people get off, sometimes even with murder. And we look at life and we say it's unfair. It is unfair. But there's a time in which that's going to be set right. There is a time in which that judgment is going to occur. And it's appropriate for God to wait. It's appropriate for God to give time 
for repentance. It's appropriate for God to deal with grace in people's lives. It's beautiful. And so too will be when God's judgment comes, that will be beautiful as well. B, however, the day of judgment will come. Verse 17, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. Number four, God tests us and humbles us by bringing events into our lives that are beyond our control. These events seem to be at, quote unquote, the wrong time or at a bad time. But they come as a means of teaching us about God. A. In the lack of control that we have over our lives, we have more in common with the animal world than we do with God. That's important to keep in mind. We are far closer to the animal world in terms of our essence and our being than we are with God. Now, we're made in the image of God. But we're just that, made in the image of God. We are the creature. He is the creator. And the animal world is a part of his creation. There is no other creator than God. And so, as Solomon looks at the animal world, he sees us like that animal-created world. Don't think of yourself as God. Think of yourself as a created being. B, we have much more in common with the beast than we do with God, in that like beasts, we have no real control over our death. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same as one dies, so dies the other. It doesn't mean that the manner of death is the same, but the fact of death is the same. God is eternal. We are not. God does not die. We do. And we die just like the animals die. See. Solomon recognizes that there are uncertainties associated with life and death. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all will return. Meaning that everything that was made was made from the dust of the earth. Ecclesiastes 3.21, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward into the earth? Now, he's not questioning the immortality of the soul, for Solomon understands certain truths, Ecclesiastes 12.7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So there's a recognition that there's a difference of eternity between the animal world and ourselves. We have a soul that goes to be with God, but he's talking about just physical life. What happens? The beast dies. What happens? Mankind dies. Both go back to 
the earth. D. While we need to make wise choices, we must understand we have limited control over the events of our lives. Ecclesiastes 9.11 Again I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those who have knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. While it may be wise to eat healthy, we cannot guarantee ourselves long life by what we eat. We can make wise choices in life, but we can't guarantee the outcome of those choices. That has to be left to God. Ecclesiastes 9.12 For man does not know his time. None of us knows when we are going to die. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, again the comparison to the animal world, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. An evil time meaning they're a time of calamity. Just as a bird is caught in a trap, so too accidents happen, diseases happen, circumstances happen to us. And the wise person knows, the wise person knows that their days are in God's hands. We are encouraged in the Psalms to number our days that we may apply our heart unto wisdom. That was associated with the fact that man is given three score years and ten. It's important that we look at life and recognize, as we're talking about stages of life, where we are in life. How much of our life is left? Life is a precious commodity. And the older one gets, and the more one reflects, I think there's a natural tendency to wish that you had lived life a little differently, that you would have done things differently had you known better, or you had considered really how fleeting life is. That uh, verse that I mentioned in Ecclesiastes Chapter 11 says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the sight of thine eyes and the ways of thine heart. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Realize that there is going to be a time. At the end of your life, you're going to be in judgment. Then chapter 12 begins with, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and remember the Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There are things that you can do when you're young that you can't do when you're older. 
There are opportunities that are present when you are young that aren't going to be present when you are older. There are ways that you can serve the Lord when you are young that you cannot serve him when you are older. And there comes a time in which you move from most of your life is before you to most of your life has been already lived. I'm approaching the end of my life. I'm approaching the end of my ministry. I have far fewer years ahead than I've had to date. I've been a pastor for over 40 years. In the goodness and sovereignty of God, I might pastor another three. Time is winding down. Opportunities are failing. But yet I can tell you there are many joys and delights in this present season of my ministry, in this present aspect of my life. But the wise person knows that ultimately their days, their years are in God's hands. And they're trusting in God and not themselves. E. We need to enjoy ourselves and accept what God gives us presently to do and experience. Ecclesiastes 3.22 So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. That is what God has dispensed. As you think about a lot, that is when the children of Israel would cast lots for the inheritance that they were going to have, their, their portion in the promised land. God has given us our portion of work, our responsibilities, our duties. He has gifted each one of us differently. And we have different responsibilities. But to look at life as a way of exercising those responsibilities, as a way of accepting the way that we are made. So often people wish they were different than what they are. Not just that they have a different stage in life, but they wish that they had different characteristics. The tall want to be short, the short want to be tall, the brunette wants to be blonde, and the blonde wants to be brunette. We can be dissatisfied with life. We can be unhappy with the way that we're made. We can try to change ourselves to be more like what we are. Learn to accept the way that God has made you if you really want to enjoy life. In my own life, I struggled for a number of years early in my ministry because if you know me at all, I'm not outgoing. I am an incredible introvert. I, have it, I find it very, very difficult to talk with people one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know what to say. I've been doing it all these years. I still don't know what to say. And you know if you're in my presence and it's just you and me, there are these awkward silences. And I have admired people that are friendly and outgoing. And I've wished I could be more like that. I'm not like that. I'm a bookworm. I enjoy sitting behind a desk 
and reading and studying. And that's the gift that God has given me. And that's the ministry that I have. And I need to rejoice in what I am, not what I'm not. Learn to rejoice in who you are. How God has made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm not talking about in the humanistic aspect of self-esteem. I'm saying in submitting ourselves to an almighty God who makes no mistakes. You're made the way God intended you to be made, and you were made with a purpose. You are made to be able to do what God calls you to do. And it's just incredible to me how rebellious mankind can be to the extent that people want to even change their genders. Saying that I was made the wrong way. I'm not really a girl. I'm really a boy. I'm not really a boy. I'm really a girl. That's just an extension. That's not incredibly far-fetched. That's just the natural application of people who are unwilling to accept the way that they are made and rejoice in the body that God has given them and the talents that he has provided. If you want to be joyful in life, you need to accept who you are. F, the test is whether or not we joyfully submit ourselves to God's design and God's will in the course of our lives. Ecclesiastes 3.18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. God is testing them. Life is a test. Number one, we need to submit to God's design for the season of life that we are in. Accepting his design. Rejoicing in the events that are associated with a particular period of time that we are in whether you're young or whether you're old. Number two, we need to submit to the will of God and his sovereign oversight of the events of our lives, meaning the particular moments, the particular times, the particular events. So there's this overarching design. And then within that overarching design, there are personal applications. Death is designed to come when you're 70 years and maybe 80. But you may not live to be 70. You may not live to be 80. Worse, your child may not live to be 70. Your child may not live to be 80. We accept the design. We live at the stage of life we're in, but we also accept the timing of his purpose. Including the death of a young one. Conclusion. Let us rejoice in this time in our life. Just spend some time as you go home this evening.
something about the past and the fun you had as a teenager or the blessings of that or don't long for the future and just wish for the next stage in life and you can't wait until this next great thing happens. But take some time just to be thankful for what you are experiencing right now. Right this moment. What is there in my life to be thankful for? What is God doing? And to accept the experiences of life is God's goodness. This may seem odd to you, but I'll say it. It may not mean anything to you, but it might strike a chord. I said I found it difficult to accept when I was younger, I wasn't more outgoing, et cetera, et cetera, and I had to accept the fact that I'm a bookworm and I sit behind a desk. It hasn't been hard for me to accept that I can't get around very well. I used to be a basketball player. <laughs> I used to run long distance. But it really is not hard for me. I'm not sad. I'm not upset. And to be honest, I'm really pretty thankful. Because now I can do what I really enjoy doing, and nobody gets on my case. People expect me to sit and read because I can't do much anymore. The expectations have changed. And God has given me the desire of my heart. And I recognize the goodness and grace of God. Because there are other things that are associated with my disease other than just losing your legs, and that is losing your eyes. And there was a period of time in which I was suffering from bleeding behind my eyes, and it looked like that could be pretty problematic. But God in his grace has decided to pretty much heal me of that, and I haven't had much difficulty now for three years. I don't expect to lose my sight. Because God's going to allow me to read. God is good. God is gracious. God is wise. Rejoice in the circumstances of today. Acknowledge his wisdom. Be grateful for what he has given to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to rejoice in you. Help us to understand to everything there is a season and a purpose for every event under the sun. Lord, we thank you for your design. And we thank you for your sovereign care over the events and circumstances of our lives. Lord, help us, first of all, to learn to rejoice in your design for the stages of life that we're in, accepting those stages, and being thankful for the particular stage that I'm in and the opportunities that are afforded me. Thank you, perhaps, for grandchildren.
if we were older. Thank you for children, if we were younger, and not to wish that they were grown and out of the house. Lord, help us to enjoy the present that we have with them. If we do not have children, Lord, may we not just long for the day that we have them, but may we're grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy, the opportunities we engage in, the lack of responsibilities that we have in that regard. Lord, help us to see life as a gift from your hand and your providential circumstances as being worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Lord, thank you for the way that you have made us. And Lord, help us to be thankful for that way in which you have made us. And as a result, the work that we are doing, your design, your purpose, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that all our members were written in your book. You make no mistakes. Lord, may we rejoice in who and what we are, accepting our strengths and our inadequacies. Lord, help us to delight in doing your will, accomplishing your purpose, living for your glory. May we realize that if we are going to enjoy life, we need to do good. When we sin, it brings heartache and misery. The scripture says the way of the transgressor is hard. So, Lord, help us to believe that in doing good, we will really enjoy life. We're not missing out by being a goody two-shoes. But Lord, we are experiencing the joys and delights of a conscience that's clear before you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are-